How about now? Okay. I don't know why after all these years I get it mixed up, pushing forward, pushing back on that thing, but I do. We're in the second message in a series called I've Got the Power, and this series is dealing with the power of God. Now, people are very interested in manifestations of the power of God. Every time you hear about a statue dripping tears somewhere, you will have hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people that will make travel plans and go just to see what they think are tears dripping out of a statue's eyes. And I think behind it, though, is this desire we have to see the miraculous, the supernatural, the power of God. And most people, when they think of the power of God, that's where our minds tend to go. They tend to go signs, wonders, overt things that jolt an individual that we're seeing something that's beyond the natural. Now, last week in the message, I, I, I said three things toward the end of the message, and I want to repeat those to start off with about the limitation of those more overt supernatural displays of God's power. It's not that those are not displays of God's power. Sometimes, okay, and I said last week, I want to say again this week, I do believe that God, anytime he chooses, can demonstrate his supernatural power. He can do miracles. But I also know what God's methodology is, what his pattern is, what his eternal plan is, and why he does miracles when he does miracles. There's a rhyme and a reason for it. It's, it's not just haphazard. So anyway, let me make these three statements. Overtly supernatural displays of power are, what does it say? Powerless to reach the depths of the human heart. Okay, that, that's important because we tend to drift toward thinking that they can reach the depths of the human heart. They cannot. They are powerless to reach the, the deepest parts of our hearts. Second statement. They were. Notice I, I emphasize the word were. They were powerful to authenticate a God-sent messenger and message. Why do you say were, Randy? Because the New Testament has been complete now since A.D. 96. Prior to that, God would give signs and wonders, supernatural, you know, power, power displays to authenticate this person is my messenger and this person is giving my message. Once the entire New Testament was accumulated, completed in AD 96, the, the gospel, or excuse me, the book of Revelation by John, there's no more need for these authenticating supernatural signs. The book of Hebrews chapter 2 talks about authenticating supernatural signs in 2nd Corinthians chapter uh, 13 Paul talks about the signs of an apostle I'll get to that in, in future messages in a series anyway they were they were a past tense powerful to authenticate a God sent messenger and message I'm just curious how many here if I if I were to say that um, you know I, I'm a cessationist would that make sense to anybody in here if, if not I'll just go on okay I, I'm not a cessationist for you that care about such theological terminology um, but I am a realist, and, and I'm a study, studier of biblical history. Okay, let me go on. Third statement. They can convince the soul. Notice I said they can. They don't always. They can. These are these overtly supernatural displays of God's power. They can convince the soul something, what is that word? Might. Might be from God, but they cannot convert a soul where? To God. Now, the reason I emphasize they might in other words, you see something miraculous, obviously miraculous, you should pause and say, well, this, this could be something of God, but not necessarily. And here's why this is critical for you to understand. People that read the Bible, or that, let me rephrase that, people that are casual in their reading of the Bible, uh, 
they might have the impression that miracles were occurring almost every day throughout biblical history. That, you know, it was just an every, everyday occurrence, miracles. That is far from the truth. We, we have about 4,000 years of genealogical recorded history in, in the whole entire Bible. Out of that 4,000 years, you have about a 186-year period in which most of the miracles were put together. And, and they're in very clear eras for very clear purposes. For example, the first era you have is Moses to Joshua. That's about a 47-year era where there's lots and lots of supernatural signs and wonders activity because God is bringing a people group out of Egyptian bondage so that they can be a people he will reveal himself to. They will start recording things in this book we call the Bible. It started with Moses, and then God will reveal himself through them as they walk obediently with God because they trust him. So 47-year period. Then, then you get into the prophet period, the prophetic period. Elijah to Elisha. It's about a 70-year period. Lots of miracles there because God is establishing the prophets and the prophetic ministry. He's giving his word to these men. He's giving his word through these men. Speed forward because not a whole lot else happens from that point on until you get to Jesus. Jesus did more miraculous, more supernatural signs and wonders than anybody. All of the rest accumulated together, and he did it in a short three-and-a-half-year period. After Jesus, the apostles, you see a precipitous drop in the miracles with the apostles once Jesus leaves and ascends back to heaven. Nevertheless, there's a lot of supernatural activity, a lot of signs and wonders, but that, again, precipitously drops off when the book of Revelation is completed, when the last apostle dies. That's John in A.D. 96. Well, I've already shared with you why that would be. There's no more need for authentication. The word of God ceased with the book of Revelation. God said, in essence, I've now revealed everything that humanity needs until Jesus returns a second time. And he's protected us by that ceiling. There have been numerous attempts at spurious writings to try to declare that they are the word of God. But they all falter. They all crumble because they just don't have the, the supporting evidences behind them. Anyway... This is something about miraculous that you need to tuck away. By the way, there's one other thing I, I, I want to add to you. Uh, this is particularly important. Jesus himself warned that the next wave after him, the next wave of supernatural signs and wonders, Matthew 24, verse 24, you can read this. He, he warned that it would be by those that he himself called multiple false Christs, false messiahs that will suddenly appear on planet earth. Jesus warned this would happen just prior to his coming and that these false Christ, false messiahs would do the same kinds of signs and wonders that Jesus himself did. In the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the apostle Paul is warning about this same era and he says that this individual that we kind of call the Antichrist, he's going to come into a rebuilt Jewish temple or at least on the Jewish temple mount site, declare that he's our creator and he himself will display the same kinds of signs and wonders that Jesus did but they're all to deceive. In the book of Revelation 13, 13, you have the same warning about the being called the Antichrist, the beast, that he will perform signs and wonders. Same terminology that's used to Jesus' signs and wonders and miracles, but they will all be to deceive. I'm trying to explain to you that those that look for signs and wonders today are likely to fall into deception. Randy, are, are you you're trying to say God doesn't do miracles today? No, I said that before. I believe God does miracles. 
I'm just trying to tell you what scripture says so that you will be educated about this and you won't be pulled in by things that might be extremely impressive Jesus himself said that the miracles that these false Christs will do once they appear in mass on earth that they will be so impressive that they'll almost deceive his true followers so we need to be aware of this and not, not be too jazzed up about the things that can't reach the heart. Signs and wonders at their best, even if they're by God's messengers, they cannot reach the human heart. Now I want to spend the rest of the time in this message talking to you about what can reach the human heart. So let me share this verse with you. Acts 1.8, this is after Jesus had risen from the dead. He had told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem for 50 days after his crucifixion, and then this would be fulfilled. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be what? My witnesses. So he tells them first, you will receive power, and the power is that of the Holy Spirit, but the power is that we will become witnesses and they'll witness in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth if you were to draw a map it starts in Jerusalem it goes a little wider to Samaria then Judea then to the ends of the earth okay here's the message today I've got the power to be a witness because Jesus said that the Holy Spirit was going to give each of his followers the power to be a witness. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38 and 39, the apostle Peter said that the promise of the Holy Spirit to give power to be witnesses is given to all those that put their trust in Christ and become his follower. Now, I want you to just pause, think for a minute. You know yourself. If you consider yourself one that has put their trust in Christ and is his follower, then according to the word of God, you have inside you the very power of the living God, the power of the spirit of God to be a witness, an influencer. We hear a lot about influencers today in social media world, to be an influencer that can reach the heart of another human being. The spirit of God wants to reach out through you if you are a Christian empowered by the spirit, a witness, to then bring yet others to come back to their creator, back to the truth about God, the truth about life, to find the truth about themselves by trusting in Christ and following him. So if you're a Christian, you've got the power. I'm just curious, we're small in number today. Would you feel weird if I asked you to say, I've got the power to be a witness? Can we say that out loud together? I'll kind of lead us. If you feel weird, you don't have to say it. I'll just start and I'll be the only weird one here. <laughs> I've got the power to be a witness. I messed you up, didn't I? I got you all out of cadence. Let's try it one more time. I've got the power to be a witness. Now, I hope, I hope you believe that. Because what that means is that God has deposited in you, in me, and everyone that is an ordinary, imperfect follower of Christ, the very power to reach into the deepest parts of another human being's soul and change 
everything about them, every, the way they view themselves, the way they view God, the way they view life, who they become, what they will do. It'll impact everybody. Not only will you influence them, they will then influence everyone else that contacts them. And this chain, it's going on since Jesus' day. It's going on for 2,000 years. Now, Jesus didn't leave us to guess about the methodology of this how this witnessing takes place when he rose from the grave here's his words to his followers his first followers Matthew 28 then Jesus came to them and he said all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me therefore what's that next word go that that's an aggressive term it's like get moving get at it get busy start at it therefore go and do what make what time out it didn't say go and get people to pray the sinner's prayer it didn't say go and get people to ask jesus into their heart it didn't say go he didn't say go and just get people to uh, believe that jesus died for their sins and rose again that's not what he said that's not what he said that's not what he said I don't know why we don't get this in Christian world. That is not what he said. He didn't say just go and get people to make decisions for me, whatever that means. This is a very specific terminology. A disciple in Jesus' day was one that so admired and so trusted in their teacher that they wanted to become exactly like their teacher. They were making a pledge to immerse themselves in their teacher's teaching so that they could become like their teacher. Jesus was saying, go and make people disciples, people that want to be just like their Lord. And then he goes on to explain how holistically that, that will be. He said, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. And the word baptizing them, you know, we think of the water thing, and it is the water thing, but it's a term for immersion. He's saying, go and baptize them, immerse them in the name, which means the, the nature, the truth about, if you want to look at it that way, the truth about the nature of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. What is Jesus saying? Baptism symbolizes I'm going to live the rest of my life immersed in the living God. The living God is going to be before me. He's going to be beside me. He's going to be behind me. Everything that I view in life, I'm going to view through the lens of the living God. He is the center of my life. I want him to be the center of my life. I'm not trying to escape hell and get to heaven. He has won my trust, won my heart, won my admiration, won my affection, and I want to be like Jesus. I'm a disciple, and I'm going to live my life immersed in God. It goes on to say, and teaching them, notice the importance of this, and teaching them to do what? Obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of age. Keep this slide up here for a minute. I want to just show you how counter this is to a lot of the nonsense we have taught in churches today. Oh, just make a decision for Jesus, and you can at least be sure you have eternal life. A disciple is one that teach they immerse themselves in the teaching jesus said in john 8 31 and 32 he said you're really my disciple or you're really my follower if you continue in my teaching it is nonsensical for people to be giving individuals assurance that they have eternal life that their sins are forgiven that they are good with god however whatever kind of terminology you want you want to use if they are not followers of jesus if they are not immersing themselves in the scripture if they are not letting the word of god get inside of them change the way they think change the way they live that's what it means to be a disciple please 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 
Let that sink into your heart. And don't shrink back from telling people the truth of what it actually means to become a Christian. So he's going to empower Christians to be witnesses. We're going to talk to others, not about ourselves. (laughs) We're going to talk to others about him. That's what a witness does. A witness is somebody that has observed something, knows the, the what of something. In this case, it's the what of Jesus and the why of Jesus. Who he was, how he lived, how he died sacrificially, how, how he rose again, what he wants to save us from, how he wants to save us, and that all comes together with our willingness to trust him. So a disciple is one that carries this witnessing out. How many of you can ju- just let this in, get in, in your heart right now? It is impossible. It is impossible to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. And not to take this seriously. It's impossible. It's impossible to be a true follower of Jesus and not be a witness unless you've never been taught that that's part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And some of us, maybe we're we're confused about this power. How, How does this power work? What does this power look like? I mean, you know, do we suddenly just have this urge to go rush out into the streets? And tell people about Jesus? I mean, what, what does it look like? What does it feel like? If I've got the power, you know, how, how, how do I recognize it? How does it work? And so that's what I want to spend the rest of the time now in the message. So let me go on. What does this power look like? Now, you're going to have to be really patient with me. First, I'm going to take you to a section of Scripture in 1 Thessalonians where you're going to see individuals that were not followers of Christ put their trust in Christ and then you'll see the change that it makes in their life so we get a picture but then I'm going to take you through a lot of scriptures that all just keep saying the same thing over and over so that you and I are never confused about what the real power of God looks like the power that can reach into a human heart and completely change their life that's more powerful than what any sign or wonder miracle can do Sign and wonder miracles, like we said, they're limited in what they can do. They're powerless to reach the human heart. All right, let's look at that Thessalonians passage. The Apostle Paul, he says, For when we brought you the good news, that's just the truth about God as it's revealed in Christ. When we brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but also with, what's the word? Power. How do you know it was with power? Power. For the Holy Spirit gave you, meaning the Thessalonian followers of Jesus, gave you full assurance that what we said, what does it say, was true. So Paul is saying, the reason I knew that the power of God was able to work its way through me and into you is because when we shared the truth about God as it's revealed in Christ, when we spoke to you about him, you knew we were telling you the truth. They didn't see Jesus rise from the dead, but Paul would come and he would tell them that the creator of the universe revealed himself in Christ, lived a perfect sinless life, loved like nobody's loved, did miracles to prove who he was, died a sacrificial death, and then rose from the grave to prove that his promises of forgiveness of sin and eternal life are sure. We can count on him to rescue us now progressively and finally when he returns again. So Paul's saying, when I told this to you guys, you took it in to be true. Now, he was banking on a promise that Jesus had made the night before he went to the cross. In John chapter 16, uh, verses 7 through 11, Jesus tells his disciples, he says, look, look, guys, it's, it's, it's good for you that I go away because if I go away, the Holy Spirit's going to come and the Holy Spirit will get into men's hearts when they hear about me. Now, there, there's a caveat to that. There are some hearts that the Spirit of God cannot get into. 
In the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses uh, 10 and 11, it, it talks about individuals that will never, ever be reconciled to God. Impossible to be reconciled to God. And it says the reason it's impossible for them to ever be reconciled to God is because they had no openness to the truth. You can read it on your own sometime. So the Spirit of God will bear witness to the truth when you and I, when we, when we just simply tell people the truth, not about ourselves, the truth about Christ, the Spirit of God will enforce in their minds, in their consciences, that what we are saying is true. That this Jesus who came and lived and died and rose again is exactly who he is and what he did. Unless that person's heart is hardened to the point where they have no openness to the truth, in which case the, the power won't be displayed in them the way that God would have it. Let me go on. You received the message. They were receptive to the message, which demonstrated that the power of God to be a witness was effective through Paul. You received it with joy from the Holy Spirit. In spite of severe suffering, it brought you. So they, they were being persecuted by their decision to put their trust in Christ and become his followers. In this way, you imitated both us. Notice the life change. They imitated their lives change. You imitated both us, meaning Paul and Silas, and the Lord. And as a result, you have become a what? An example. Their life was changing. The message got inside them. They were changing the way they lived. If a person is not changing the way they lived and they call themselves Christian, they should just shut up because they're not. I mean, I can say that I'm a dog and live in a doghouse, but it's not going to make me a dog. Okay? You have become an example to all the believers in Greece and throughout all Macedonia and Achaia. It goes on. And now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you. So not only did they receive Christ, receive the message of Christ, the word, the, the witness, but now they themselves were becoming witnesses. One of the number one proofs that a person has truly trusted in Christ and become his follower is they want to start telling other people about Christ because they know Jesus commanded us to do that very thing. Go into the, all the world and make disciples. When you and I say, yes, Jesus, I want to put my trust in you and I want to become your follower, we are signing signing up to be witnesses for Jesus and then the spirit of God gives us the power to carry it out but I know you're thinking but I, I, I don't feel that power I feel far from powerful second part of the message we'll get to that for wherever we go we find people telling us about your faith in God so Paul knew that the spirit of God was able to work through him into the hearts of these Thessalonians because when they put their trust in Christ and became his follower their lives started changing immediately remember Jesus said go into all the world make disciples of all nations baptize them in the name of the Father Son and the Holy Spirit and he said teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you these people were taking in the word of God and they were living it out they were letting it mold and shape and correct their lives which is the mark of real conversion all right now this is where you're going to have to be patient and I'm going to do this really really fast I can talk fast at times if I need to I'm going to take you through a whole bunch of scriptures so that you can see for yourself what is the number one evidence of the power of God so that we can push aside childish ideas about the power of God and get mature thinking about the power of God and appreciate the power of God in the right place as opposed to being 
those that run off to buy a plane ticket to watch a statue cry somewhere in the world not that you would do that nevertheless so here we go be patient with me we're going to read a lot of scripture really fast just going to let God talk to us through his word here we go Acts 5 and and the question to you is what's the number one giveaway that the power of God the witness power of God is at work nevertheless Acts 5 14 nevertheless more and more men and women believe that word believe is pistua it's trusted in the Lord faith put faith in the Lord many more women believed in the Lord and were added to their number just keep this thing I'm going to go through them fast let me go to the next one in those days when the number of disciples was what increasing so does the word of God spread the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith go on what what we're going to see a repeated theme here those who had been scattered this was a persecution this was the first persecution of Christians living in Jerusalem the apostles stayed in Jerusalem but the rest of the believers they scattered man they ran all over the world those who had been scattered did what preached the word what does it say now they were not apostles they were just ordinary disciples now they had been sitting under the apostles teaching for a good long time by that time they had been sitting under the apostles teaching for about four years but they everywhere now they had just gotten persecuted they lost jobs they lost homes they lost livelihoods they had to run literally for their lives from Jerusalem but when they ran they did the very same thing that got them in trouble to start with they everywhere they went they preached ordinary believers they preached the word everywhere they went let's go on then the church throughout Judea Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by encouraged by the Holy Spirit what happened to them increased in what numbers have you seen this this theme redundant theme let's go on Acts 11, 21, the Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. What is that? A great number of people. Let's go on one more time. Acts eleven twenty four. he was a good man speaking of Barnabas, full of the Holy Spirit and faith and a great number of people were what? Brought to the Lord. Let's go on. Acts 16, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in what? Numbers. You see a redundant theme? It just keeps coming up. What does this power feel like? Okay, let me go back. Let me go back because I'm not quite ready to go that part yet. If you listened carefully or even casually, you couldn't help but to see that the number one mark of the Holy Spirit's power operating effectually through those that had put their trust in Christ was that the witness went out they told people about Christ and they brought people to Christ that was normative the number one mark of the power of God being allowed to freely operate in his people is that his people will bring other people to Christ let me ask you a question what do you have what do you have what do you own what do you have influence over that you can carry with you from this life into eternity can 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 you carry your 401k how about your car how many i know you like your car i don't blame you i like mine <laughs> even though it's old i like my car is it going to work are you going to be able to carry it through to eternity how, how, your house you take a lot of pride in your house nothing wrong with that you got to decorate it just the way you want it you gonna be able to take that house with you 
It's not coming. It's not coming. Um, what can you and I bring from this life to the next? There's only one answer. Anybody want to be bold enough to, to sound stupid in case you get the wrong answer? Somebody said other people. Of course, we're going to take ourselves. But I meant what else? And the only thing we can take is another person. The most valuable thing on this planet, it is a human being. It is a human being's life. It is a human being's soul. It is a human being's longings for that which only God can give. The only thing that you and I can invest in in this life that we can take with us into eternity that will be on the other side welcoming us, appreciative, rewarded by Christ, the only thing are other people. It's the only thing that makes it through the cut. I'm not trying to say that our good deeds will not be rewarded by Christ. The scripture is very clear about that. And there's lots of different ways we contribute to reaching people. We, we do this as a team. Churches do it as a team. But nevertheless, individually, you've got to understand, God has given you and he's given to me, ordinary people. You have, you said it a minute ago, you have the power to be a witness. And with the power to be a witness means you have the power for God to reach another human being, bring them to himself and transform their life in this world and take them into eternity you can do that for some other human being and that's the most powerful thing that happens on the planet every day leg lengthening is not that powerful <laughs> uh, phony miracles filling up stadiums all this stuff that happens it's, it's not that powerful what's powerful is when human beings are brought to Christ and you saw that pattern in the book of Acts their numbers grew, their numbers grew many more men and women were reached for Christ that is the number one mark of the power of God finding freedom to operate in our lives we become witnesses so what does this feel like so, so what is this power that we have what, what does it feel like I mean do, do we have this you know, uncontrollable desire or or force in us that just forces us to go out and start shouting at people about Jesus or talking to people about Jesus? I mean, what, what does it feel like? How, how do we recognize this power? Let's look at Scripture. Here's the Apostle Paul's confession. Read it to you last week. He says, I came to you, meaning when he first came to Corinth, I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. But nevertheless, he did come to them. You can read about it in Acts chapter 18. He went to the Corinthians and he, he presented Christ to them and he presented Christ for an 18-month period and he was persecuted and he had all kinds of hardships but he just wouldn't stop telling people about Christ. But what did, he, what did you feel like, Paul? I was scared. Don't, don't mistake what he's saying there. He's saying, let, let, let's try to get real, real practical here. He's saying, when I went to Corinth and I met there's people I was scared to death inside I, I, I just I was terrified I was trembling literally but I still opened my mouth because what Paul knew was this to be a witness requires that we open our mouths and we speak to other people not about ourselves Paul was very careful to say that, that we, in 2 Corinthians 4, he says, we didn't, we didn't preach ourselves, we preached Christ. It is when you and I open our mouths that the power, the power of God gets released. But this is how we might feel inside. 
Can you put that together? You, you might be scared to death, and yet the power of God is released through you and I when we open our mouth and we actually speak to someone about Christ. Let's look again, another one. Acts 4.29, here's the early church at work. Now, Lord, they had just been, uh, Peter and John had been arrested. They had been threatened, don't speak anymore in the name of Jesus. They go back to their people. They tell them this, and the people all start to pray. Now, Lord, so this is their prayer. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable, empower, enable your servants to do what? Speak your word how? With great boldness. Now, you don't ask God to enable you to speak his word with great boldness unless you're not feeling bold. If you already feel bold, you're not going to ask for boldness, right? So these people inside were feeling anything but bold. But they knew the importance of the mission. They knew that to be a witness, you've got to open your mouth and you've got to speak about Christ to people, though you may be uncomfortable doing so. It goes on, after they prayed... The place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. That means they came fully under the influence of the Holy Spirit. I got, got another message in the future of this series. We'll talk about that because the first three messages, we're going to look at what does the power of God look like and how does it feel. The second three messages, we're going to look like how do we stay connected to the power of God? What are the sources uh, of this spiritual power? So it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit or under the Spirit of God's influence, and what was the evidence? They spoke the word of God, how? Boldly. But they didn't feel bold until they started speaking the word of God. You've got to get that part. Let me, let me share with you one more. This is the Apostle Paul. Uh, he's asking for prayer at the end of his writing to the Ephesian church. He says, pray also for me that whenever I speak, Words may be given me so that I will, how? Fearlessly. You, you, don't, you don't ask for prayer so that you can speak fearlessly unless you're feeling fearful, uncomfortable. I mean, let me stop for a minute. How many of you that are Christian, how many of you that are real followers of Christ, you want to be a witness for Christ at times. You want to speak to people about Christ at times. But man, it just feels it just feels so uncomfortable that truth be told, a lot of times you don't because it's just too uncomfortable, man. It's like walking through a minefield. How, ma how many would identify with that? Can I see your hands? Okay. What if, what if we just started doing what the early church did? And what the apostle Paul himself did. This is a man, this is after like 25 years of serving Jesus. He's still saying, man, I, I need prayer, guys. I, I need prayer that, because I'm not feeling very fear, fearless. I'm feeling fearful. So pray for me that I will fearlessly, I'll push past the discomfort, and I'll fearlessly make known the word of God. He says, fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. That's the, me the message of Christ for which I am an ambassador in chains. He was in prison when he wrote Ephesians. Pray that I may declare it how? Fearlessly. You don't ask for power for prayer to declare it fearlessly unless you are fearful to declare it, uncomfortable to declare it. So this power, 
how does it work? How, how, do, how does it, we know how it feels. We, we might feel uncomfortable. In fact, let, let, let me try to get this clear. If you've trusted in Christ and you are his follower, you absolutely have the power of the Holy Spirit in you to be an effective witness for Christ. The power is in you, but you don't feel powerful. You feel scared. You're, you're, you're considering all the time, oh man, this is gonna cause me to lose friends and people that used to like me are gonna think different about me and I may not get the raise or I might even get fired or you know, my family members are gonna be mad at me. You know? So we're, we're thinking of all these things and we're uncomfortable, we don't open our mouth. But the power is actually in us, but it's not operating. Let, let me give you a little pattern of something. God's, God's way he, he works in Scripture. How many of you have ever read the story of the city of Jericho? Remember as a kid, you heard about it in Sunday school, right? You know, so the, the Israelites come out of Egypt, and they're too scared to go into the promised land, so God, you know, watches over them for 40 years. But the next generation under Joshua, they're ready to go and take the promised land. So the first city is Jericho. Now, if you read the story, it's in Joshua chapter 6. Read it sometime on your own. It's pretty wild. He tells the Israelites, you've got to understand, the Israelites have never fought a war in their life. They know that these Canaanite tribal people are warriors. They've seen the Nephilim, the giants in the land. They've got fortresses. They've got weapons. The Israelites don't have any of this. But they know that God has told them, I'm giving you the promised land, but you're going to have to fight for every square inch of it. But he's, God tells them, he says, if you fight, you can't lose. But if you don't fight, of course, you don't get anything. So they finally, they get their nerve up after 40 years of wandering around the wilderness and God gives him instructions about the first battle. He says, when you go to Jericho, he says, you, you take all your warriors, uh, Joshua, and what you guys do, you, you just walk around the city, march around the city of Jericho, the walled city of Jericho. You do it once a day for six days straight, all right? And then he tells him, he says, now, now here's what you do on the seventh day, Joshua, you and all the warriors. You march around the city of Jericho. Anybody know how many times? seven times and then he says this he says after you walk around seven times I want the guys with the the ram horns to give a real hard you know loud blast on the ram horns and all you warriors you shout and God says and the walls will come tumbling down you know if you know the little story the little Sunday school story now Here's my question to you. And of course, if you know the story, it, it did. And by the way, archaeologists have found the city of Jericho and they have found compelling evidence that it was destroyed in a cataclysmic way. A anyway, so here's my question to you. What if they would have marched around the first day, the second day, the third day, the fourth day, the fifth day, the sixth day, just like God said? Seventh day comes. They march around seven times, just like God said. But then they don't blast the ram's horn and they don't shout. Would the wall have come down, in your opinion? How many say it would not have come down, in my, in my opinion? Can you see your hands? Yeah, you're right. There's no reason to believe that it would. Give me one more example. Book of 1 Kings, chapter 17. Elijah the prophet, he goes to this widow. God sends him to this widow. The widow is gathering a little bit of sticks so she can start a fire and eat her last meal with her son. She's starving to death. She's got a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil. Elisha is told, go in and ask the woman to make you a meal. Now, mind you, she and her son are starving. They're about ready to die. 
And Elijah goes and he tells Jesus, look, make me, make me a little something to eat first before you and your son who are starving to death. Before you eat, you feed me something first. And that little flour that you have, it will never stop being a supply, nor the oil. The oil and the flour will never run out until rain comes again and the famine ends. So she had to take the risk. And she did it. If you read it in 1 Kings 17, she makes Elijah something to eat first. And then it says the flour never ran out and the oil never went dry now here's the question again if she had said hey Elijah I believe what you're saying but you can't really expect me come on man you can't expect me to take the last meal that's going to be in my son's mouth and give it to you you can't expect that of a mother would her flour supply have run out? Would her oil supply have run out? How many think, I think it would have run out, Randy. Can I see your hands? Yeah, there's every reason to believe it. What, what is this principle? What is this principle? We, we find it in the New Testament too. It's the principle that God's gonna carry right into eternity that when his humans and his angels align our will with his will, when we do what he asks us to do, when we trust him enough to do what he asks us to do, then he supplies the power for whatever it is to be effective and successful and to be carried out. The power doesn't come until the obedience comes first. You've got, you got to get that part. He says, do it, and then you'll see the power. Now, I know what somebody's thinking. Inevitably, in a room, even in a small crowd like we have today, inevitably, somebody is thinking, Randy, you know, I, uh, I'm just kind of a quiet person, and I'm very careful about my faith, and I just let people see my life. When they see, when they see my life, that's how I witness. They, they see my life. They, they'll see, they see the difference. And I will not ask you to raise your hands about this if that happens to be the way you think or feel. But I just want to ask you to consider this. Suppose, suppose the Apostle Paul took that same attitude. He said, you know, I'm not going to open my mouth to anybody about Christ. I'm just going to let them look at my life. And if that's not enough of a witness, so be it. If Paul would have taken that attitude, we would be lacking 13 books in the New Testament. Hundreds of thousands, if not millions, probably multiple millions of people would not be Christ followers. If he would have taken the notion that keeping his mouth closed and just letting his life speak was enough. I'm telling you, you and I, just letting our life speak, it's not enough, it's never been enough, it's not God's plan, it's not God's method. You and I must be willing to open our mouths when we are fearful, when we feel uncomfortable, before we see the power of God go forth and grab a heart and grab a life here and there and there. And in between, there will be multiple people that probably won't accept our message, won't turn to Christ, but that just means that our mission is to continue on. Look at Paul's record. He, he gets rejected, he gets made fun of, he gets attacked, he gets imprisoned. I mean, it goes on and on and on. So what, what I'm trying to say is this, the power of God, the witness power of God is in you. It's in you. It's in me. But it's ineffective until you and you and you and you and you and you and everybody in this room that is a real Christ follower starts to open our mouths, trust God enough to say, 
I'm going to start talking to people about Christ. Interesting study was done recently, a survey. They, they found that 79%, you might as well round it off to 80%, 80% of people, these were non-Christians, said that if their Christians' friends who show that they're very serious about their faith, they, they, only, they only would say this about their friends that show by their lifestyle and so forth, that they're very serious about their trust in Christ. 79% said if that Christian would talk to them about spiritual matters, they would be very interested and would listen. One out of four said if they were invited to a small group, they would go. About 80% would visit church were they invited. So it's kind of like what Jesus said, the fields are white in the harvest, but the workers are, you know, the, 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 the labors are few. So let's take this another step. Here's what has to happen. Uh, in my life, in your life, it has to start with availability. The witness power has been deposited in us but I've got to make myself available to God. He needs this mouth of mine. He needs this mouth of yours. And then there has to be this intentionality. What if each and every one of us that are Christ followers, we, uh, we made this our daily prayer. Lord, open me a door today or open me a door this week. And I'm just going to keep on badgering heaven. Open me a way. I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to look for opportunities to speak to others about Christ. And I'm going to pray for opportunities for the rest of my life. That's what I'm going to do. That's what witnesses do. Adaptability. I have to be one that is so focused that I, that I can you know, adapt to the person, who they are, where they're at, how far they are from God. Um, I, I become a student of human nature. Credibility. This is an important one. That survey said that 79% would openly talk if they could see that the Christian in their life was very serious about their faith. Credibility. Paul, he, he spoke very uh, correctively to the Corinthians because the Corinthians were, were living in sexual immorality and drunkenness. And he, he spoke to them. He said, you know, you've got to correct this. You've got to clean this up. You have no credibility as a witness for Christ. If, you're, if your life is out of line, you say, Randy, you've got to be perfect? No, but you've got to be credible. And, and there's too many Christians living in sexual immorality today and drunkenness. I don't know why those two are so big today, but they seem to be on the rise. And I'm telling you, it wrecks your witness. Just shut your mouth until you get your life together. But do please get your life together. Those things are no good for you. They're no good for the people you're involved with. They're no good for God. And then after credibility, clarity. I think what happens to us is that the reason we're scared, the reason we're uncomfortable, it's not so much that we fear rejection, though that is a big part. It's not so much that we fear we're not going to get the job prestige or whatever it is. We, we do fear that too. But I think what's at the root of the fear is we don't know what to say. If the opportunity laid itself open, I think our fear is we mumble through something, but we just don't have clarity. We don't have certainty. We, we just don't know what the message is. In other words... If we had to give our elevator speech, you know, our, our, our quick version, what's the gospel? What, what is the message that I as a witness need to share with somebody so that they can put their trust in Christ and become his follower? I, I've had over 40 years of leadership, and I'm telling you, I, I know what I'm talking about here. Sadly, very few Christians know how to do that. 
And I think that this also jams us up. We're hesitant to become witnesses because we don't know what the heck to say. Even if somebody said, man, you go to church, how do I get saved? A lot of us would, would that, the airplane would just be circling the, the runway. We wouldn't know how to land that thing. Not, condemn, not, not condemnation. It's just, just let's deal with reality. So you're going to have to be really patient with me. I, I, I thought this thing through this week, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to attempt in the, the, the fewest words possible, but the thirst way possible, fewest words, thirst way for a contemporary world that we live in. I, I, I'm going to try to compact, give our people, teach our people, offer our people a compact version of the gospel that I think would be effective with most people today. It's accurate, it's thorough, but it's compact. But I can only compact it so much. Now, Kim, I don't know. Do they have those cards? Okay. okay. On that card, and, I, and we're going to show it up here on the slides. You're going to have to bear with me. It's a little, little tedious, but, but, but here, here's the thought. Throw it away or memorize it. It's up to you. But I sure hope you will choose to memorize it because having something is better than having nothing. And I, I assure you, this is something you have in your hand right there. Uh, in other words what if we were to just say you know I'm, I'm going to just twice a day for the next three months six months whatever I'm not even going to try to memorize it but I'm going to read it focused reading thoughtful reading I'm going to read it twice a day you know what would happen you would automatically memorize it and we would all be way further along and more bold I believe in being witnesses if we knew what the heck to say and, and so bear with me on this I'm going to read through it so here's the first part we're going, to, we're going to make another version of this card for you, but the first part deals with who he is. The almighty creator of the universe revealed his great love and trustworthiness in the person of Jesus of Nazareth called the Christ, the Savior of the world. Jesus was more than a human being. He was God in human form. That's the first part. Let me go on. What he wants he wants to save humanity from our destructive ways of thinking and living. Destructive ways of thinking and living. But he can only do so as we are willing to put our trust in him and become his followers. We have this crazy notion in churches today that all Jesus wants to do is save us from the penalty of our sin and whisk us off to heaven. You just need to read your Bible more thoroughly than that if that's what you believe. It's not true. He wants to save us from the crazy ways we think and live right now in the present. And that only happens when we put our trust in him and become his followers. As we follow Christ, our creator, we not only discover life's meaning and purpose, every human being is looking for meaning and purpose, we actually start to become who we were always meant to be and do what we were always meant to do. So this takes in the whole thing of people finding meaning and purpose and personal development. It goes on. What he did, he demonstrated a sacrificial love for us by allowing himself to be crucified, proving to us that we have no reason to fear him and every reason to what? trust him it's all about trust reconciliation between God and man what he did part two he rose from the grave to show that he has the power to fulfill his promises of forgiveness and eternal life in his kingdom for all who become his followers don't shrink back from telling people the truth uh, the, these these you know formulaic prayers get nobody into heaven unless the person has really put their trust in Christ and become his follower they're not going to heaven at life's end goes on what everyone should consider 
Now, this is, this is where you're, you're, you're calling for a decision. What everyone should consider, everybody is following somebody. Everybody you'll ever meet in your life is following somebody. For most of us, it's ourselves that we follow. How much better to allow the almighty creator and the sacrificial lover of our souls, the one who always wants what is best and knows what is best for us. I think we got to go on. Why not do what millions have done from every walk of life uh, through the centuries and put your trust in Christ today and become his followers? So, so this, is, this is the decisive point of it. Now, I know it seems long. I try to condense it. Uh, remember what I said. I wanted the fewest words but the thoroughest message and the most accurate, scripturally accurate message that would be relevant and communicable to people that we will cross paths with today. I just want to ask you to th consider this. Will you consider taking this? And we're going to do another version of it a little bit better. And, and Kim, Kim took this thing. I, I, I had the paragraphs, and then she took it. If you look at the flip side, she divided this thing up into, would you, what would you call it, Kim, an acronym? Okay. <laughs> Put it into acronym. I mean, she's a genius with that kind of stuff. So that might help you memorize it better, too. I don't know. We, we want to give you three or four different ways to internalize this and memorize it. Some of you are just good memorizers. You could do it on your own. Some of you will just toss it in the trash and you'll forget it. But you'll remember this day someday. <laughs> we'll all stand before Christ someday to give account for ourselves. And you will know that you were given an opportunity to become the witness that God's empowered you to be. Now, what I'm going to add is this. Uh, God led me to, to do this. I, I'm going to start on a project. I've got about 50, 60 ideas already where I'm going to do these little five-minute videos. And these videos are going to deal with all kinds of subject matter that you might, first of all, learn from yourself how to be a better witness for Christ, how to talk to people, how to engage people conversationally, how to answer tough questions. But also, these will be little clips that you could send to somebody. So, so I, I'm going to turn this into a project where I'm going to do everything in my power for the rest of my days as leader of this church to help us become a more witnessing body of believers. Now, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? How many of you will say, you know, I don't really care who sees me. I don't really care what anybody thinks of me. I'm scared now, Randy. I don't feel capable right yet of being a witness, but I absolutely am ready to start from this day forward. You, you keep helping me with material. You keep helping me. I, I'm ready. I'm ready to open this mouth of mine and start talking to people, not about me. I, I mean, it's great to share your testimony. It's great to tell your story, what Christ is doing in your life. It's great to invest in people and invite, identify your circle of influence and pray for them and invest in their life, invite them. All this stuff is great. But a witness is one that talks to other people about Christ. And we can all do this because the Spirit of God is a, is a power source in us. But we've got to learn, and then we've got to be willing to open our mouths. How many of you wish you would have stayed home today instead of coming to church? <laughs> I knew I should have listened to that ICE report, you're thinking. <laughs> no, this is, this is a great opportunity for you to do what you, if you're a Christian, you've always wanted to do. You've always wanted to be an effective witness for Christ. You just haven't exactly known how, and you haven't known how to deal with the fear and the discomfort. And now you know that's par and parcel for the course. It's not until you open your mouth progressively that the fear diminishes. The more we do this, the less fearful it is, the more effective we become. So, 
How many today say, Randy, I, I don't know, man. I don't know where this is going to take me, but, but I'm ready to take this voyage. I'm, I'm ready for the rest of my days. I'm going to pursue becoming the witness and freeing the power of God that is in me to touch the life of another human being. How many would say, I don't care who's looking at me. Count me in. I'm raising my hand. God bless you. I'm going to help you. You're not going to be alone in this thing. I'm going to help you. These videos and stuff I'm going to put together, they're going to be tools in your box. They're not only going to train you and teach you, they're going to be things you can send out to other people. Because you have conversations with people and they talk about things. You'll say, hey, check out this little five-minute video. See if it makes any sense to you. We're, we're, we're going to be intentional about this thing together. All right, let, let, let's pray. Father, this is such a weird thing. Such a handful of people for such a subject as today. We know what you're up to, though, and so may your spirit take the little fire that has started in hearts today and just spread it across this congregation until that mass of people that only you know that are reachable will be reached by we, the people of FCF, and we pray that this holy fire of, of the working of your spirit to be witnesses will really take off in every one of the churches of Christ. It's in your name, Lord Jesus, we ask these things. Amen.